Good morning, everyone. Today we're starting a new series from the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible. I want to, we're going to be starting in chapter 4, so we'll be after the Garden of Eden. We'll do this for about five weeks. I want to tell you that these five weeks contain some of the most difficult passages in the Old Testament and some of the strangest Some of these passages, if you hadn't grown up on the Bible and you were reading them for the first time, to you they would just sound like old uh, fables or, or myths like from Greek mythology or Aesop or something like that. So we come this morning to these passages to ask, can these, the most ancient stories in our scripture, some of them probably passed by oral storytellers around campfires for hundreds, maybe thousands of years before they were ever written down. Can these ancient stories really speak any kind of truth or wisdom into our modern technological lives? And do these stories have anything to teach us about God whom we have come here to seek and try to see if we can know him better. That's what we want to ask, and let's begin that exploration right here in Acts chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. And the first Father's Day. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. God accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You'll be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. We hit our first difficulty right here in the first passages of the story. What's wrong with Cain's gift? Does God like shepherds more than he likes farmers? Does God like meat more than he likes vegetables when it comes to offering? Maybe it was because Abel was careful to bring the first fruits, the first lamb as an offering, and Cain just lazily picked something out of the garden as he came in that day. All three of these explanations have been offered by lots of different theologians, but none of them does it exactly say that in the passage. None of those explanations really makes a lot of sense if we were going to try to talk about them for very long. None of those explanations is a repeated theme in the rest of Scripture, farmers versus shepherds and that sort of thing. It really doesn't come up like that again. Why is it so hard to tell what's wrong with Cain's gift? Because there's there's really nothing wrong with Cain's gift. That's why it's so hard to tell what's wrong. Abel brought a lamb from his flock. 
Cain brought produce from his field. That's what they have, and that's what they brought as an offering, and that's the way it works. But there was something, maybe there was something genuine in Abel's heart, and there was something not genuine in Cain's heart. It doesn't say that in the passage either, but that is about the only explanation I could find that makes sense of the rest of what happens in the story and is a repeated theme in Scripture many, many times as offerings come up. Notice that we don't even know, how could Cain tell that God hadn't accepted his offering? It doesn't say how he could tell. We only are told that he knew. Perhaps he himself knew he was just going through the motions. Verse 8. One day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were there in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? And here then is the death that was foretold. Do you remember that? In the, in the early chapters of Genesis, God had said to Adam and Eve, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. Do you remember when God said that? Do you remember that they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and they didn't drop dead? Because this, this is the death that was foretold. And this is going to help us straighten out some of our theology about death. Perhaps you, and I know for I, for many years thought that if you sinned against God, then he'd kill you. Except that's not what happened in the passage. He said you would die, and then they did it anyway, and then they didn't die. What he really said was, if you try to live in my world, but you don't live in it in my terms. You don't live it in the way I'm showing you to. If you live in my world against me, you're going to set off a chain reaction that is going to bring death into this creation. You're going to invite death in if you try to live in this world, but disobey God. And here it is. Here it is. You see, death came from sin. Death didn't come from God. It's the sin that's destroying us. If I can only get one theological point through this year in a variety of sermons, and I, I am going to try, here's like our third try, it would be this, for us to know that sin are not things that make God angry. Sin are not God's pet peeves, and that's what makes them sin. Sin are things which destroy human life and destroy human joy. And because God is for us, then God is against sin. God's not against us because we sin. God is for us. But because sin destroys us, destroys the joy he wants for us, God's against sin. Let's read that together just to make sure if we just got one thing through today. So use your air quotes when they come to Sins are not things which make God angry. Sins are things which destroy human life and human joy. Because God is for us, God is against sin. 
Cain is just going through the motions with God. And God knows, you try to live in this world and just go through the motions with God, it will destroy his joy, ruin his life, and possibly invite death. Verse 10. Both, uh, but the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Cain replied to the Lord, my punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. You don't say, Cain. I mean, you kill your brother and you have to leave home and you're shocked. Cain, you're a murderer and now you wonder why the people who will find you out there will try to kill you. Cain is a piece of work. And aren't we a lot like Cain? Don't we sin and then whine to God that the consequences of our sin are too much for us? You know, it's like like this. God has made us a world full of amazing, like, foods and stuff, fruits and vegetables and, and all the different fish and everything else to eat. He's made us this wonderful world, but we're convinced that we can improve on it. So we grind it all up and we squirt it into molds and we make things like Doritos and chicken nuggets. And we, I mean, some of this stuff looks like it came from outer space. Twinkies. Is there really an element from our periodic table in a Twinkie? Which one? We eat this bizarre stuff and then we whine to God about all the health problems it causes us. Take me, for instance, I I bury myself in my laptop four, five, six hours in the evening. And then when I finally poke my head up and look around and see what the family might be doing, I I complain to God that my wife is distant and and my kids just want to play video games all the time. Aren't we just like Cain? My wife found this job ad. This job ad was placed in a newspaper in Texas says, construction workers needed, Lake Fork area. Please do not apply if you oversleep. Have court often. Do not have a babysitter every day. Have to get rides to work later than our workday begins. Experience flat tires every week. Have to hold on to a cell phone all day long. Or will become an expert at your job with no need to learn or take advice after the first day. Must be able to talk and work at the same time. Must also remember to come back to work after lunch. Should not expect to receive gold stars for being on time. If you qualify, please leave name and number. (laughs) This guy was charged by word, the word for this ad. And he had to put all this stuff in there. This is how we treat our employers. And then we whine to God when it's hard to get a job or when work's hard to find or we get replaced by somebody who will work harder. Because we're just like Cain. And so here in the text this morning, God is asking us, why are you so angry? 
Why do you look so dejected? We sort of go through the motions like Cain and his vegetables. We serve others sometimes when it's convenient. And we give money to the work of the Lord a little. We pray every now and then when we think about it. Anyone else looking at our offering, the serving, the giving, the praying, would say that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. That's good church people doing good church stuff. But we know in our heart that our offering is not accepted because we're offering it from a heart that's just going through the motions, just trying to do the minimum necessary. So you know how I must feel about going through the motions, but how does God act when we go through the motions? It appears he tries to encourage us, just as he tried to encourage Cain. Verse 7, he said, you'll be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching in the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. This offering's not a test like that Cain has to pass. It's a chance for God to say, Cain, do you see all this stuff you're trying to do for me, all this stuff you're trying to give to me? Well, it's not about that. I want your whole heart. I want all your trust. I want you to put all your faith in me. Cain, I want to walk with you in the garden in the evening the way I walked with your father. Cain, if you don't live that way, you keep doing this half-hearted stuff, the temptation to sin is like a snake crouching in the doorway, ready to jump on you every time you go in and out of your house. But Cain, this is your chance. You can master this today. God isn't planning to kill Cain. He's trying to save Cain from the sin of half-heartedness that's destroying his life. God is for Cain. God is for us. But Cain's like a spoiled child, and he can't see that the consequences that he's suffering are his own fault. Verse 13, Cain replied to the Lord, My punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. Cain just lost home, family, and security. He also says he's been banished from the presence of God, that he's lost God's love and protection. Is that true? Verse 15. The Lord replied, no, for I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. I've always been curious about this mark. Was it a, was it a birthmark or was it a scar or was it a tattoo? Was it a little lightning bolt? Don't know. doesn't say, but it was something that frightened ancient people away. It was something that said to revenge-minded people or wandering murderous tribes, best leave this one alone. Best let him be on his way. 
Why would God put a protective mark on someone like Cain? Because he's that kind of God. The God who seriously wants us to live. To defeat the sin that is tearing our life apart. He's the God who wants to give us another chance. Verse 16. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain had sexual relations with his wife. Whoa, where'd she come from? We had Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, and now Cain has a wife. I have put an article in your program this morning. You can take that home and see what you think. But for today, Cain had sexual relations with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Then Cain founded a city, which he named Enoch, after his son. A wife, a son, a righteous son we'll see next week, and a city. That is quite a second chance. Have you ever sinned? And I mean big. Have you ever messed up things so badly? Maybe it was your children. Have any of your children ever done something? They messed something up so badly. Or someone you love, they did some, made some terrible choice and wrecked everything. But yet somehow it didn't wreck everything, did it? It should have. Given what I did, given what you did, given what they did, they should have lost everything. Health, marriage, job, home, friendship, and life. But it doesn't happen that way because when we offend God that first time, that second time, that third time, many times after that. He leaves you a little something. He might leave you a place to live. He might leave you a good friend. He might leave you someone who still loves you. He might leave you your health. He might leave you your home. He protects some part of you. He puts a mark on you that says to this world, you cannot destroy this one completely. Why? Because God is not eager to punish you for your sin. Our sin is destroying us and God wants us to see that and then to master that and then to be free. Our sin is a snake crouching at the door waiting for us to come home today and bite us again. But God is cheering for us, telling us, you can master it. You can subdue it and be its master. Verse seven, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. It's like this. This is a true story. A friend just told me this this year. That when he was 17 years old, he was walking down the street behind a guy and the guy's wallet had worked its way up and out of his pocket so that as the guy was walking, he dropped his wallet on the sidewalk. 
My friend who was passing him saw it immediately and kicked it under a parked car and then went down the block a ways and sat down to see what would happen. And that guy immediately recognized that his pocket had gotten light, so he turned around and started scanning the sidewalk. He wasn't going to find it now. It's been kicked under a parked car. Guy got frantic looking for that wallet and then started tracing his steps back the way he'd come. So my friend got over there at 17 years old and crawled under the car and got that wallet. And he opened it. Now this story happened in the 1960s. So in the 1960s, at 17 years old, he opened that wallet and found 30 $100 bills. $3,000. I think today that would be like finding 20 grand. Not bad. Took it to the bank. Opened a bank account. Deposited the money. The bank teller said, well, if you'll just wait in that side room while we finish up getting your account set up. So he went to the side room and there he sat until the bank president came with police officers. They said, young man, you have just passed this bank $3,000 in counterfeit bills. Where did you make them? Of course, being 17, he broke down and cried and told them the whole story. And they believed it and let him go. He told me he felt like that was God in his life, giving him a pain-free chance to see that this sin he was headed into of theft will destroy him if he takes it any further. Because if he had been just a few years older, he would not have bought that story. And he'd gone to prison. This morning is for all of us Cain's. We've sinned and we know it. It should have destroyed us, but it didn't. Now we have a second chance to follow God and learn how to really be human, to live in our Father's world with Him. So we're going to have communion here in a little bit. But I want to invite you to another moment if you want. I'll be here, Pastor Dan will be here. We have this anointing oil, ancient symbol of the church, oil with a little scent in it. And for those of you who find Cain's story and your story, you know the mark of Cain is on you. You can't see it, but it's there. It's that mark by which God has protected you and brought you this far. And we want to take that invisible mark and make it visible or at least something you can feel or smell or by tracing out the sign of the cross on your forehead. The sign of the cross. Because our second chance has been purchased by Jesus. Jesus puts the mark on us that gives us the second chance. Jesus proclaims to us at the end of the Bible, the same God from the beginning. The same God who marked and protected Cain and gave him a second chance. Now through Christ gives us a second chance. Cain's mark uh, was placed on Cain for Cain. Jesus had the marks placed upon him for all humanity. Whip marks, nail marks, spear mark. And our second chance is purchased with those. 
This is the same mark from the Old Testament, now in the New. And when, if you want, you don't have to do this part. Will you come up? I trace it out. I probably won't say too much to you other than maybe Jesus' own words, go and sin no more. And when you turn to walk away, the word repent literally means to turn and walk away. Turn and walk away from whatever it is that made you do whatever you did. Turn and walk away into a new life. And now, no more half-hearted stuff. This has got to be it. No more half-hearted stuff. No more half-hearted offerings. You've got to go deep into these scriptures and learn more about this God. So whatever is offered to you to study those scriptures, men's ministry, women's ministry, whatever it is, go deep into it. No more excuses. No more half-hearted stuff. When you're invited into the life of the church, no more half-hearted stuff. Do it. Go deep. Whatever is offered to you, serving, prayer, worship. There are good reasons to miss church and then there are some super lame reasons. No more super lame reasons. Go deep. We need it. What else in your life tells you this story? What else is so focused on God? We need it. I need it. You need it. Go deep. Go deep. No more half-hearted stuff. Repent and turn from all that going through the motions. We know we have this second chance because Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took some bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. The marks are on me. So we tear off a piece of bread. We dip it in a cup because he said, this cup represents my blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. He says, I know you have sins. I know they're destroying you. I know you chose them, but I forgive you. God forgives you. Let me be a part of you and you be a part of me. So when we tear off that bread, we dip it in the cup and then when we eat it, he becomes a part of us and we become a part of him. Do you see what's happening in that, at that table? We're receiving this God who puts the mark on us, who saved us this far, gives us a second chance. It says, go and sin no more. I'll send my spirit to help you. I'll give you a church to help you. So, if you like, after, if you, you don't have to do the mark part, but if you want, you, then you go, tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, receive God's forgiveness. You're a part of him. He's a part of you with a full heart. If none of this feels right to you just yet, you don't have to do any of it. I hope you'll think about it. Think very seriously about it. Is this story true? Is this really what God is like? Am I ready to turn? No one will judge you if you're thinking about it. We don't want anyone having oil slathered on their head and eating bread that doesn't mean anything to them, but think about it. I hope you don't think too long. I hope it can become real for you. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for our second chance. We thank you for Christ Jesus who purchased that second chance for us and showed us once again who you are and who you have been from the very beginning of our story. We pray for those who are considering it, Lord. You would help them to see you. the loving God who holds the only way to live in this world in peace and joy and life.
Help us to see it. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Come forward when and if you are ready.